Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 11th Sunday after Trinity, August 28, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. can be found on page 1621 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke 14, verses 1 through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told them a parable, to, or now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our gospel lesson this week has three distinct sections. What that means first and foremost is that pastors everywhere raised their hands in triumph and said, woohoo, when they were getting ready to write their sermon, because it's all outlined for us right away. But beyond each of these three sections of the gospel lesson, each one of them answers the question, what is the Sabbath for? In each of these three sections, we get a different answer that both upends the practices of the Pharisees of Jesus' day, as well as the preconceived notions of our own sinful nature today. And so, turning our eyes back to Luke 14 this morning, what is the Sabbath for? The first section teaches us that the Sabbath is for healing. Jesus sets up the theme for this week when he visits the home of one of the rulers of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. Now, this would have been in the evening 
after the Sabbath services at the synagogue, and they would have been reclining at the table, uh, you know, people dining at banquets in, ancient, uh, in the ancient Middle East didn't sit at chairs and a table. They had long couches, almost like chase lounges, and you would have reclined at the table on your right hand, kind of leaning with your head like this, and used your left hand to eat casually as things were set before you. This is the scene. It's a very relaxed setting. It's also an entirely formal setting as far as social structure is concerned. And so Jesus had taught on the Sabbath, and now he was invited over to this prominent leader, this ruler of the Pharisees' house, and in the course of the events of that day, one way or another, a man with dropsy appears before Jesus. That's like all we get in the text is that he appears before Jesus. It's almost like a magical poof, he's there. And so we got to figure out what's going on with this. The first thing is we don't call dropsy dropsy anymore. It's, it's the condition we now have identified as edema and it's the swelling of various parts of the body due to the retention of fluids. And when edema or dropsy is really bad, it completely disfigures the body. It can disfigure a limb or your neck or parts of your face. And, and it's, it's kind of startling to see an extreme case of this. But the other thing we need to know about what's going on is that people who had dropsy were ritually unclean in ancient Israel by both the law of Moses and then especially emphasized by those legalists, the Pharisees and scribes and lawyers and teachers of the law. This man would have been entirely outcast by society. He would have been the same as a leper and he would have been entirely unwanted. And so in the midst of this reality, Jesus allows him to remain front and center. And he poses a key theological question to his ideological opponents. And all he asks is this, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now it's as straightforward of a question as you'll ever get from Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And to this question, Jesus' opponents remain entirely silent. And so we're left to ask the question, why? Why would they not respond to Jesus? The first answer is obvious because of the context, because they're waiting for Jesus to screw up. They don't want Jesus to be who Jesus is because Jesus is a threat to their man-made identities. The, 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 the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the religious elite had carved out a nice little niche on the top rung of society for themselves, and anyone else who got attention or who received importance apart from their approval was a threat. Now, I think what you really want to see happening here is you want to pair this kind of benign sort of occurrence with what happened after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. Because when Jesus raises John from the dead, he also performs another miracle of healing, but it's a lot more significant in the mind of a human when Jesus raises someone from the dead than when Jesus cures someone of a disease. 
But after Lazarus walks out of the tomb and feasts with Jesus and John, how do the Pharisees react? Jesus and Lazarus are both threats to their way of life. And so they seek to not only put Jesus to death, but also Lazarus, because he's going to upend their place in society. That's what's on their mind, and I believe that's what's going on here. For the Pharisee of Jesus' day, everything in life was about them, but especially the Sabbath. For someone who is wealthy and well-to-do, the Sabbath was the lowest impact, easiest way to show everyone else you were impressive to God. Because the Sabbath eliminated the need for work. The, the, the Sabbath eliminated that. That's exactly what was going on. And for a wealthy person, you're already used to not working. You, you, you can put on your finest clothes, and you've had time to be educated, so you can pray the finest prayers. And you're wealthy, and so you can host a feast and show everyone how awesome you are. And all of this was done in the name of appearing righteous. Every pious activity in Jesus' day that was done on the Sabbath was done so that someone would appear oppressive, impressive before man because they appeared to be impressive before God. But Jesus, on that Sabbath, in that Pharisee's house, made it very clear that it's not about us, that the Sabbath is all about the grace and mercy of God. And so he heals. He heals the man with dropsy and sends him on his way. And, and then just to clear up any self-righteous objections that one might have to his working on the Sabbath, he asks a rhetorical question. Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath, will not immediately pull him out. And, and I've got to get this out of my system because this is one of my favorite unintentional comical things about the Bible. If you've ever read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you get this sense that falling into pits was a regular struggle for the Israelites. Like, there's like two whole chapters in the book of Deuteronomy about what to do when someone or something falls into the pit. And as someone who's never been to the Middle East, I get a sense that the ancient Middle East looked like Swiss cheese. You're just walking around and there's a hole right there. A very real, real possibility that you're going to fall into that. And so that's the Old Testament setup. And here again... Jesus asked this question, and it seems like it's a regular enough occurrence that, that people would be familiar with the situation and accept it. Which one of you, if your son or your cow falls into a pit, is not immediately going to retrieve it? And the answer to Jesus' question is, of course. Every single person there, if something happens to a loved one or a beloved possession, is absolutely going to rescue it, even if it involves working on the Sabbath. Because again, the Sabbath is for healing. It's for rescuing. It's for deliverance. And so that's the first section. 
The second section, the, the largest section of our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus teaches us that the Sabbath is for feasting. As Jesus lets both his healing and his teaching about the Sabbath sink in, he sets up an interesting uh, hypothetical situation. And it's interesting because of the context. So, so Jesus tells a parable to the guests who have been invited to a party. And he says, let's imagine that you have been invited to a party. And that's the hypothetical situation he's setting up. Well, everyone he's talking to is at a party they've been invited to. And so Jesus says, if you've been invited to a party, do not take the place of honor. And the problem with the party Jesus is at and the fictional party that Jesus sets up is that rather than focus on the occasion for celebration, whether it's a Sabbath meal or a wedding feast, which is in the parable, the people who had been invited were focused on the glory and the honor that they can hoard for themselves. And Jesus observes that entire situation, and he knows that it's just a popularity contest. But it's not a popularity contest that is decided by popular vote, but it's one decided as each of the invited guests sought after and claimed for himself the best places of honor and importance. Jesus' teaching runs contrary to this reality. He instructs his audience to do the exact opposite of what he had observed. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Jesus' teaching isn't about saving face. It's not about doing something so that we, in preparation so that we don't get embarrassed. Rather, in Jesus' mind, on the Sabbath, at the celebration, we should not be preoccupied with ourselves, but rather... We should arrive in humility and focus on the celebration. And this gets us to the final section. The Sabbath is for kindness. Jesus said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now what's interesting in Jesus' teaching is we've moved from the realm of actuality with the healing of the man with dropsy to the realm of the hypothetical with this imaginary wedding feast that looks a lot like the Sabbath feast they were at. Now we've arrived at the place of rebuke. And this is what ties up our gospel lesson to a nice bow for us. As Jesus speaks 
directly to the host of the party who had invited him. The implication of Jesus' teaching is that this is exactly what the man has done. He has invited his wealthy and his important friends. He expects that in turn, he will be invited to parties that they host. And he expects this because it's the regular occurrence of high society in ancient Israel. This is what happens. And the implication of Jesus' rebuke is look at this man with dropsy. He came in uninvited, and I healed him because that's what he needed. Now this is where we might be tempted to miss the mark of Jesus' lesson in our gospel section today. I have at times heard this section of Luke 14 preached as if it is an appeal for the church to turn to a mercy mission mindset. That the church is better occupied spending its time reaching out to the poor and the lame and the unfortunate. And here's the danger. The church should participate in mercy missions. We should be reaching out to the poor. We should participate in ministries that aid in healing and provision. But that's not the extent of why Jesus teaches what he teaches. Jesus here is extending his teaching about humility and status and popularity. This Pharisee was doing only what he expected would be done for him. And in doing that, he closed the loop of everybody inviting everyone else and everyone patting themselves on the back for how righteous they were for doing the same thing over and over and over again, only for each other. But Jesus enters into the situation. And Jesus wants to break the loop. Jesus wants to upend everything that's going on in Luke 14. And so he teaches. And in teaching, he wants his audience and us to answer the question, what is the Sabbath for? In asking us the question, Jesus wants us to examine our own hearts and our own motives and our own actions on the Sabbath. Jesus wants us to examine if, in fact, we are selfish and ignorant and prideful. And then Jesus wants our attention directed back at him and who he is and what he has done because the answer to his question isn't explicit in the text, but it is explicit in the words of God. The Sabbath is for rest. And what that means is the Sabbath is for us because Jesus is the answer to the Sabbath. Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. And if we realize and cling to this reality, there are three important applications from our three lessons in the gospel this morning. First, the Sabbath is for healing. Just as Jesus heals the man with dropsy, so on the Sabbath, Jesus heals us. The rest we receive from Jesus on the Sabbath is our own healing from sin. On the Sabbath, as we enter into the divine service, we receive the grace and mercy of God because Jesus and the healing we receive is the forgiveness of our sins. 
And because it's no longer about what we're doing for God, it's no longer about our displayed piety or self-righteousness, we, in turn, are permitted to do good and heal others. We extend the healing balm of the gospel to them, and we extend the kindness of the gospel to everyone, not just our own sons or cattle that fall into pits, but we love our neighbor, and we love them well. Second, the Sabbath is for feasting. Just as Jesus didn't want the Pharisees clamoring for places of importance at the feast, he doesn't want us clamoring for status on the Sabbath. He wants us to realize that we are the humble ones. We are the ones who deserve the seat farthest from the table. And in fact, we don't even deserve to be invited to the feast because we are unclean. We are outcasts. But he also wants us to see that what is important is the feast. The feast that he has invited to, invited us to, apart from any merit or worthiness of our own. The feast where Jesus feeds us with the word of God and with his own body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. It's easy to get caught up in how important we think we are, or at least how important we ought to think we are. But in fact, because of the conviction of our sins, we often get caught up in this way in in the least expected manner possible. Rather than think we are important, what we think of is that we are so unimportant that God couldn't love us. What we end up doing in the same way the Pharisees did is not put our chests out, but look at everyone else and say, he or she or that person is holy and I am not. And so I won't bother to come to the feast. But the reality of the Sabbath is that God himself is invi- has invited us to a feast where he provides everything we need for nourishment, for the nourishment of our souls for all eternity. And the point of the feast is not how good or bad we look before God, but the point of the feast is that we celebrate in joy that we are at the feast and that God has asked us to be there. Finally then, the Sabbath is for kindness. Now, I want to tell a story, and I think I've told it before, but some of you might not have heard it. Growing up at my home church, I was an entirely perfect and obedient child. I, I, I walked around with dignity and pace, and I basically had a halo over my head. Well, one day, I screwed up, and I was playing with my friends, and we were running through the church after church one day. And one of the uh, older ladies in the congregation reacted to this and reached out her hand, and I happened to be the one that she caught. And she held me there, and with a very stern and angry face, said, we do not run in church. Church is not a place for fun. And those were her exact words. But here, 
Jesus teaches us that the Sabbath is for kindness. Jesus doesn't want us to invite anyone as a way of demonstrating our own status. Jesus doesn't want holy people only inviting other holy people so we can all congratulate each other about how holy we are. What Jesus wants us to do is to realize first, again, that we are the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind who need to be invited to the feast. And then, under that realization, he wants us to invite the other poor, the other crippled, the other lame, the other blind. And yes, first and foremost, this means the actual poor, crippled, lame, and blind of society, whatever that might be, but it also means the spiritually poor, crippled, lame, and blind. And in doing that, he wants us to realize the point of the feast and the celebration of the Sabbath is that we all receive healing from Jesus just as the man with dropsy did. And that healing never, ever runs out. It never goes away. But the other point is that we and everyone else on the celebration of the Sabbath receive rest. We receive relief. And in that Sabbath rest, Jesus wants us to love. Not to love because we must in order to impress God, but because we love because we must, because God has commanded it. But in commanding it, our Sabbath rest frees us to love. It frees us to hear the command of God, and then to go and to love and to draw those who need Sabbath rest. And so we go back to me in church some 35 years ago. I should not have been running through church as a matter of respect and obedience. But it revealed an attitude that is buried deep within each one of our hearts. And that attitude is that people only who are prepared in a certain way belong in church. And that's not the case at all. Because each and every Sabbath, we should be celebrating. And we should be loving And we should be proclaiming the proclamation of healing. But especially, we should be resting in the reality of the gospel. That Jesus Christ has died and rose again to save us. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.